Hello. Hello. I got something um, cross about. Yay. It happened this week. always rely on you. I got an issue with (laughs) technology. I've bigged it up to you for the last five minutes before we recorded. I said, Mm. I even wrote it down. I was like, I want to talk about this when I got on the podcast. Who fucking cares? I'm angry at myself I care. I care. I care about your... I care about any disastrous situation you find yourself in. (laughs) It's all fodder. It's all material. It's the life of an artist. You have have pain and then you use it. It doesn't really help that I'm dressed in like a black turtleneck, does it? I look the most artist I've ever looked. You look very beatnik. I look very beatnik. And so, here we are. See, I can't even... It's really not that worth it. Um, Not that worth it? Great. Right. One thing that fucks me off is when I get really angry, I can't string a fucking sentence together. That's one thing. Uh, Actually, we talk about this in the podcast, so that's good. Yeah, link. we do. Great link. Um, now, let's hear your story first and then we'll come back. First of all, an annoying thing is when you book a holiday, loads of work comes in. Just been on holiday. I'm going to relax, I say to the universe. No, you're not, says the universe back to me. <laughs> so emails for a job come through. As it all starts coming through, I am trying to sync up new emails like a work email and my old email i'm literally bored has everyone got it it's it's the screen frozen it's so boring but it's really angered me and i just want to get there just lauren get there so basically i'm so angry at myself i can't even tell the fucking story anyway so the issue was i tried to log in on my phone to an email address that's an old email address that i've emailed these people a million times saying stop emailing me on this old email address here is my new one and they keep emailing me on the old one i've set up a forwarding thing but still stop emailing me because i don't get it straight away i get it like 25 minutes to an hour later i'm actually my blood is boiling the world is falling apart why is this an issue so the issue was i tried to log on to this email address and then i can't remember what the old password word is and then I think I've logged myself out of it so anyway I was just like fine I'm just gonna leave it about a day later I'm waiting for a work email like a confirmation email and nothing comes through and I text somebody else that I'm working with and they were like yeah I've got everything through I've had all the confirmation and I still haven't had it through so then I email the people going hi I haven't had the confirmation through then I start thinking maybe it's not come through because they don't want me to do it anymore maybe they've just changed their mind and decided they didn't want me then I phone the office going hi I haven't had the email and this other person's like they've emailed you they think but maybe they haven't so then there's levels of doubt and I got so upset for like six hours of my holiday because I couldn't work out why I hadn't been emailed about this job and I think the desperation obviously always comes from the fact that we've like lost loads of work this year any sniff of any income is a bloody godsend and then I'm like I'm now too desperate because I've called them too much and then this person emails me the next day and goes here's the confirmation and instantly I felt really relieved but then I got cross about how good it made me feel because I was like this has ruined six hours of my holiday and then what I've realized is when I was like messing around with the you know the password stuff and I logged myself out it basically blocked my account which is why all the emails that I should have been getting weren't being forwarded to my new account so basically uh. I couldn't put this away because I took it as this like big rejection for work that I uh, that I made up in my head that I was like maybe I came on a bit too strong with these people and I feel like I feel really angry I feel really angry about getting angry about it 
Oh. No, but it's like on one level you've got that thing of how a technical issue can bring you to feeling like you're losing or you've lost something that's important that's work based mm. because maybe you want to unplug and yeah. then if you don't have Wi-Fi and you can't be instantly you can't immediately check on things you can literally miss out on a job or you know mess somebody around unintentionally so it's kind of like there's that perception that it's absolutely necessary for you to be contactable and to be able to contact people a hundred percent of the time yeah and then on the other side it's that thing of a technical issue an email going awry uh brings up all of that stuff about basically about unworthiness and that i came on too strong like it's a it's a job and you're asking a fair enough question, right? Yeah. And somehow your brain is giving you, well, don't be clingy and needy. Nobody <laughs> likes that. Exactly. Oh, well, they'll never work with you again. Oh, what? You know, like yeah. weird shit. That's weird. Like, but, like you think you're going to get sacked in the same way that you think you're going to get dumped. Do you know what I mean? Or you think oh, you're yeah, get maybe, in the same way. maybe. <gasps> Helen, maybe that's just what it's about. Do you know, maybe it just all is stemmed. <laughs> Thanks for this, love. Maybe it stems from those early moments of dating where you're like where you get ghosted and it's like because a job just disappears and because that's happened that happens to so many of us just with self-employed work you know even in an audition where you don't ever hear again you're like did they die is that why because everybody died or maybe you don't hear back and then you think all of these they're dead that's also (laughs) what Of course, I think that happened. You think once. they're dead? I think they hated me. That <laughs> even my even my presence in the room appalled them and disgusted them so much that not only are they not calling me in for this job, but they they have strucken me off all records. Never again will I be seen by a casting director. I've embarrassed myself to the point where I shall never work again. That's you. Whereas I think everyone Everyone's died. Dead. <laughs> everyone died in the theatre. They all dropped dead of collective heart attack. Uh, And that's why I didn't get the job. But no, all I did was go, I didn't get the contract. Could you just resend it? That's all I did. They haven't gone, oh, fucking hell. Here she is. This is the thing. In what world would they do that? I have to tell myself this sometimes. I ask a question like, yeah, can you let me know? Can you confirm the payment for this job, please? Then I sit there going, oh, you fucking bastard. How could you have asked? They're going to hate you now. Oh, they're going to think you're grabby. Oh, what, you only care about the money? It's a job I'm doing. I'm allowed to know what the pay is. You know what I mean? It's so bizarre. Bullshit. It's self. It's so much rooted. It's so self-esteem stuff. This year has been so like the year that pulled the rug away. When you need something because you've had all your work go. You know, when a little work comes through, it can almost make you more stressed out because you're grateful for it, but you suddenly you've got something to lose. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, yeah, this could be. This could all. You're like, don't dangle it in front of me. If it's going to be taken away because yeah, I can't it, handle it. I can handle uncertainty, but I cannot handle at this point something being given to me and then taken, taken away. Taken away. I love the comparison of it being in a relationship because <laughs> it, that just reminded me of like when I was seeing somebody where I was like, things are going so great. Everything is wonderful. Every Oh, they're not really texting me. I will be really keen. And this day, I don't know if I told you where I was walking down the street to this person's house with a cake in my hand. I felt like a fucking idiot. I was like, I think they're having a really tough time at the moment. I'll take them a cake. And I text them going, I'm on my way. And they'd, they'd been a bit distant, but they were writing like a dissertation. And I got a text going, oh, um, I'll come and meet you. It would be good to have a chat. And I literally had a cake in my hand oh. going to their house. And I had to turn around. <laughs> like, 
run back home and be like, oh no, oh no. And that, that was it, maybe, it was over. It was over. Did you ever, did they see the cake? Were you sitting, imagine? No, I fucking ate that shit. I fucking ate that shit. <laughs> Shoved it down my cup. Went home and ate it. It was delicious. Not wasting that. But this is the thing too, if you do get a little bit ghosted or whatever, it's happened to us all, you feel like you ask a quite reasonable question, which is, am I in consideration here? Are you yeah. are you going to talk to me again at some point? Are you just busy or is this yeah. you know, the end? And that's when you don't want to be called clingy or needy because yeah. you really are just asking a quite reasonable question. Yeah, so you can be is like, this... Either way, like, just, I'll be fine, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not going to, you know, it's all right, but, like... Yeah, the only t- at the, t- the time where it was a serious ghost stink, um, it was a spooky, a spooky situation. <laughs> I was learning pottery and behind me... <laughs> These hands! Muscular arms of Patrick Swayze. Um, was me saying to somebody, is this a thing now? We've been together like a few months and I remember it that they just got up silently... <laughs> put on their coat and left the room I don't remember there being a conversation like oh I'm not sure I literally remember this person being putting a coat on just straight back not looking back like just walking out the room it was almost like they kept walking till they went off the edge of a bridge (laughs) and died honest to god I remember it because they just never phoned me and I called them back I was they're dead like they just got up left my house and died (laughs) your question of wanting to be in a relationship was so uncomfortable that they died they stood up, they... walked away, put their <laughs> coat on. Didn't look back, didn't shut the door. I honestly remember it. I do not remember them. I don't remember them even a conversation. <laughs> About two weeks later, I bumped into them in the middle of the street and they had like bags full of booze, obviously on the way to their pal's house. And I was like, oh, you're not done. They were like, I was on my way to your house. And it was so... Hang on. You asked whether you were going to be in a relationship. They stood up like Frankenstein and left the house. <laughs> and then they were they were apparently going to show up on your doorstep with a load of booze a week a- later, having not... Apparently... <laughs> You are definitely not coming to my house. They'd be like, I was, I was. Oh, I was just um, thinking about you. How I was, I was just about to text you. Will text you. you. I'm like, well, let's have a party. Let's have a party to celebrate us <laughs> never being in a relationship together. <laughs> I'm going to celebrate you not being dead. I'll tell you someone who knows about being a jobbing actor. <laughs> and a successful one at that. Dan Starkey. <laughs> He's never been ghosted. Oh my god, I actually laughed so much, I nearly went myself. That, how to link, how to link that. I wonder, I don't, don't, it wasn't the smoothest link. (laughs) I don't think we talk much about rejection in this episode, but we do, we do have a good old chat about some of the similarly stressful realities of uh, this industry, right? Yeah. Oh no, we actually do. Um, yeah, we do. It was, a, it was a better link than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> Having thought about it, it was a great link. Uh, oh, wow. Lauren, I can't wait. Why can't I just ask a question? Why have I got to do a fucking... It's like I'd need an intro to an intro. It's like Inception. All right. <laughs> Who's Dan Starkey? I'm so glad you asked. Dan is an actor uh, best known, some would say, 
Not someone would say. <laughs> some would say. Dan is an actor and an improviser and a voice actor. He's well known for Doctor Who and has portrayed a number of different Sontaran characters, but most notably Strax. And we talk about specifically the process of becoming Strax. We talk all about that, which is absolutely hilarious and um, wearing prosthetics. And there's actually a video on YouTube of him getting into all the prosthetics and stuff, um, which we would definitely try and remember to link, um, <laughs> which is just, it looks horrific. <laughs> he's amazing. That he is. He, he he's, can do um, that. He's a great person and a great actor. And yeah, uh, yeah he's, this was such a lovely chat and a lovely conversation. He's just, he shares some really brilliant stories, uh, especially about working on Doctor Who, which I think is just such a, you know, that's something that so many people would like imagine in a certain way. But yeah, Dan does all sorts of things and we're so grateful to him for coming and getting livid with us yeah here's dan look at your lovely setup dan <laughs> your room looks like a proper sound booth was this, is this is a lockdown venture then no this this is a lockdown thing i mean i was because i do a lot of voice work now um, yeah. there's always a thing about so like oh you should start thinking about getting a home studio and i was thinking you know i go into town to a proper studio to do that why should i need to do that and then but now obviously lockdown happened and so I, can, I can see the use of it actually having it here and also you know i can i can work from home you can work in the middle of the night if you want you can creep out of bed and voice a whole book if you <laughs> And like yes. It. We've become very obsessed with sound lately. I don't think there's a single episode of this podcast yet where there hasn't been like something where Lauren's like, I can't believe this sound issue. <laughs> Do you know what? In the last one that I was editing, you can hear one of us breathing out of our nose and I was getting cross about it. And I was like, you need, I had to walk away. This is obviously where my rage is being channeled because of what's going on in the world and the stuff that I can't control that I'm getting really frustrated that like, I can hear us breathing really loudly out of our nose. <laughs> Why can't I yeah. get rid of that? So I had to take a walk. And it's amazing how the technology has changed as well. I mean, I was hearing from someone, from a, an audio engineer who I work with quite a lot, that one of the readers that he works with a lot doing audio books, on the days of recording on tape, she got used to sort of... Um, breathing silently on a breath she'd trained herself out of actually sort of breathing because that's what the technology yeah. forced you to do and then yeah. over the years doing hang on I'm on a computer now that's just you can just take it out with a, with a, with a touch but why am I still doing this but it's, it's, yeah. it's all those things about technique and sort of like how the technology enables some stuff and doesn't enable others suppose like auto-tune if you're a musician or whatever yeah. if you can't really sing you can press a button it and doesn't it's like, matter yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter anymore yes yeah. <laughs> or you can speak sing you can do that what's it Rex Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. I'm going to singing. tell you. In the rhythm, how to sing. I don't know who that was. That was not Rex Harrison. Yours was. I've never heard Rex Harrison yeah. before. Famously unpleasant man. Oh, really? Apparently, apparently, yeah. Not, not, not generally liked. When you said recording on tape, that reminded me of, did you ever record your own radio shows when you were little on a tape? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to do my own radio drama. So I used to read out comics and do sound effects and that sort of thing. Because I was such a, such a big Doctor Who fan. I used to yeah. read about the BBC Radiophonic Workshop in all the books. And then I used to try and do my own. So things like recording things. And I had, there was a thing on my tape player because it had a, a, a two cassette thing where you could actually slow things down. You couldn't speed them up. You could slow them down and dub stuff over it. So I went around and basically I said, oh, great, I'll have a whole whole tape of sound effects. 
And basically, the sound which I, which I could create most easily was Swamp Planet. Because it's like turning on the sink, and then it's like recording that and slowing it down. Then flushing the loo, recording it and slowing it down. And then it's like bubbling sort of like um, water through a straw and then slowing it down. And it came up. And that, that was basically the entirety of one side of a 90-minute cassette. Oh my <laughs> God, that's amazing. That's so brilliant. And now I work in audio drama. And imagine if you'd known then you'd be on Doctor Who. Well, quite. Have you still got the tapes? Uh, my mum and dad's house is from the attic. Probably a, a knackered one. And, yeah. and now, obviously, it's kind of like, I'm, I don't have a tape player, so it's kind of... Uh... Yeah, that's the thing with all that stuff now. You're saying about technology moving forward. It's like you don't even have the means anymore to listen mm. to the thing that you made. It's like mini-disc players and stuff. Yes. I, don't, I could not even tell you how I made that work. I had a mini-disc player and used to record stuff onto it, but I think that's a part of my brain that's gone, you don't need that information anymore. Goodbye. Like, clear the cache on that. I love the idea of you turning up on your first date, Doctor Who, with these tapes. <laughs> being like, do you want to hear my version? I was quite quiet about it, just to show that I was a proper actor. But then, because <laughs> they had a programme called Doctor Who Confidential, which is basically the making of sort of thing. They used to show it on BBC Three all the time. They interviewed me. Basically, all of this continuity came out. This kind of like, you know, 20 odd years of stuff that I, I learnt when I was about nine or ten, which is still in there, obviously, because I learnt it when I was a kid. You have the Sontarans and the Rutans have been at war since for 100,000 years. And it's like, oh, oh, you, you know your stuff, don't you? And then the production team went, oh, right, okay, well, mm, I might get him back. Because everyone who works on the programme were fans when they were kids as well. It's one of those things where it's, you know, it's, it's been, been going on. on so long, and that's the yeah, thing about yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah, why yeah. wouldn't you? Like, it, it's funny that thing mm. about not being allowed to be a fan yeah. of something that you're working on. Yeah. Like, that diminishes your credibility. It's interesting mm. that thing where you have to kind of hide how much you love this thing or how much knowledge <laughs> you have about it, or just the fact that you've grown up with it, as so mm. many people did. Everyone did, I guess. Most people. I don't know. When did it start? <laughs> It's 1963, so it's nearly 60 years ago. So it's going yeah, to so yeah. it's like a huge part of a lot of lives, yeah. Did you get the fear when you started of, you know, like the thing of don't meet your heroes? Mm. Were you a bit worried about what if it's not? Sort of. I mean, it, was, it probably wasn't going to be the same as it was when I was eight or nine, because that was mm. real and amazing. But I think I think it's just simply as well on my first couple of days, just because it was my first television job. So there's a huge amount to sort of go, Ugh. but also I was glued into a rubber suit for three hours. <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning so I was just physically dealing with that so that yeah. dissipated quite a lot of the nerves because I was just you know it was kind of like that basically things which should be going around in my head is fight or flight and uh, quite a yeah. lot of that was this extreme reaction you've got where you're going okay you've got to put a pair of rubber trousers on now at least until lunchtime which don't have a fly on so I should probably go to the loo just to be on the safe side there's yeah. a thing which you're going, suddenly this is, this is going to be a physical challenge and certainly the first time I had the suit on it was kind of one size fits all and the more I wore it there was a bit of give in it because bits of the it was sort of like foam latex started to have a bit of um, a bit of stretch in it yeah. but so the first time it was like you know when you have a blood pressure cuff put on your yeah. um, elbow and it inflates it was kind of like that but on your entire body oh god so so my hands swelled up so physically you're dealing with a lot of stuff like that because yeah. you know I had some two inches of latex on the side of my ears it was muffled I could hear, just about hear people but it's more like having to lip read slightly and so it's all these things to actually think about so actually just dealing with all that was a great transference thing rather than going oh I'm on set with David Tennant oh there's Bernard Cribbins oh, which, which, which would have been the normal reaction so, it um, kind of shows you that the other stuff the other layer of stuff the like oh I'm so worried about what they'll think of me is the bullshit yeah, because yeah, yeah, really yeah. when they put you in this thing and like you said we'll talk about fight and flight that's so interesting and so relevant but like that brings it right down to that physical level of what is about your survival and what is about your general worries 
an ego, you know. Mm. Yeah. And it was like, you know, on Peter Capaldi's very first day, he was there. It was a lovely chap, absolutely, because he's very experienced. He was just absolutely open going, right, guys, bear with me. Um, if the lines don't come out, uh, it's my first day as a new Doctor Who and I'm quite nervous. So I do know them. <gasps> yeah. But yeah, just, just, and we all go, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. We were having a chat. It's like, oh, yeah, prosthetics. Because he, he'd just done a film with Angelina Jolie where he was in six hours worth of makeup and was going, yeah, but no, it's, it's like a fight or flight thing, isn't it? You're absolutely in a heightened state, aren't you? You can't relax. It's like, yes, Peter, that's exactly what it's like. Thank you. But it's that whole thing of just being very, you know. Yeah, human. Just being very human about the whole thing and saying, this is terrifying or I'm feeling quite nervous, but I'll get there. And I think the expectation in any job, but, you know, being specific, we're seen as so adaptable. So you can just be put into a situation. Is it okay? We're just going to cover you in in this complete, you know, suit and you're not going to be able to breathe. And uh, then you're just going to have to give your best performance. Off you go. He must have relaxed everybody by saying that as well, not just himself. Because he's a chap with a degree of stature. And for God's sake, he actually, he's won an Oscar. He directed the best short film in 1995 or something like that. So he's been he's been on either side of the camera and also at the highest possible level. And you can sort of see someone with that kind of experience that's sort of like, you know, he has got things to prove, but he'll do mm. it in his own time and... Yeah, but it, and it is that whole thing of yeah, it's it's you know it's, it was it was just a, a interesting way of seeing someone dealing with themselves in a very classy way, and also somebody else pointed out as well that it's it was a transition for him from being a character actor to being a leading man. And that's a very different thing because I've been a leading man once or twice and it's a different headset to be in because usually I'm the guy at the back who's got a couple of funny lines and sort of like, you know, I, I make the best of, you know, a smaller part and do good things with it. But the times when I do that, I've, I've got to actually lead from the front. I've got to be off book as soon as possible. I've got to sort of do all this because I want everyone to have as good experience as they can do. And then sort of like, you know, it's a different mindset. And also, especially with a programme like that, you're kind of leading the company and it's your programme and it's got all that weight to it as well. And also, yeah. I think the whole imposter syndrome, not wanting to be rumbled, that whole thing of being like, I've got to show that I can do this because I would never want anybody to think that I shouldn't be up here and I don't deserve the the success. I guess for you as well, to be thrown into such an intense situation, like, okay, not only am I going to do my first telly roll, but also I'm going to be doing it under these conditions and I've got to be perfect. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's so nice, I think, when anybody, especially like, you're saying somebody so adorned and recognized it's just lovely when people are honest enough to just admit like hey everyone gets nervous on their first day of a big job this is a natural and normal thing and it's nothing to do with your professionalism and it's nothing to do with that illusion that you can give yourself sometimes of thinking like i'm worried therefore i must not be very good but it's a natural response to being in a new environment yeah Mm. yeah yeah yeah. and i I think i think yeah one of the first rules of impro that i was taught was that if you get things wrong it's fine you haven't been shot so like (laughs) say something else yeah. and it's fine it's that kind of like oh, that kind of reaction which is which is the tyranny yeah mistakes are gifts and that's why I think the clowning in the improv world sit so sweetly next to each other is because clowning's all about being vulnerable messing up but also going you know I'm going to try a few of these things do you like these things do they work for you okay it's not working anymore we'll just try something else now but then the people that often struggle are the people that can't work through being a perfectionist the perfectionism thing is such a hard thing to break the best moments I've seen in most improv shows is where somebody often has misheard something and they've just run with this beautiful new discovery that they've made because something went wrong it's definitely those beautiful moments I just prefer to go towards them 
and see the human aspect of somebody. Also, wouldn't it have just been horrible if he'd come on set and he was just awful, like yeah, a horrible oh God, person? Yeah, no, I just, those are the things yeah. that you're like, please don't be mean, <laughs> please don't be horrible. It's one of those jobs, though, where it comes with such a baggage. And the thing is, he was a fan when he was a kid as well, Peter. You're part of people's imagination. And so it's kind of like you don't step into it lightly and you respect no. it in that kind of way. And it, all the all of the cultural pressure of being the next doctor as well, you know what I mean? Because it's got such a long legacy. So you're not just playing a leading role, you're playing a leading role that's like, well, can you follow so-and-so? And will you be better than so-and-so? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it is that whole thing, you know, because I've worked with Tom Baker quite a few times now, who was sort of like Doctor in the 1970s, and he's got absolutely scurrilous stories about, you know, getting thrown out of pubs with Francis Bacon in Soho in the 70s. You know, really sort of proper sort of bohemian, you know, Toast of London stuff. But, you know, when he was the Doctor, he was like, he, he wouldn't have a pint of beer because he's the Doctor. <laughs> you know, it's an absolutely sort of squeaky clean image. And it's like, going, oh, yes, well, you know, we got thrown out of the Red Rock because Francis Bacon shouted to the waiter that he really fancied Colonel Gaddafi. And, you know, that kind of... <laughs> It's an extraordinary kind of world. It's like, yes, I used to carry a toothbrush around because I didn't know where I'd wake up the following morning. That kind of thing. At the same, in a way that could not happen now because we have social media and everyone's got a camera. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a world. Shall we play a game? Let's do it. And then Yay. we can get into the road. So, Dan, we are going to play a game called Eight Things. We would like you to list eight things that grind your gears they can be anything they can be big small just whatever comes to mind uh, just right. open your mind and see what happens um, yeah. spill it all out spill it all out we're laying out a, a hessia sack in front of you to absorb the the mind vomit yeah, yeah. and then we'll just use whatever you've said as a jumping off point Dan Starkey, are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Thing number one. People who walk very slowly on the uh, street in front of me, especially if they're big. Number two. Number two, tap dancing. <laughs> having, having to learn tap dancing at drama school when I was 27. It's basically walking. It's or walking to a rhythm, but it's impossible. And I used to get sent out of the room because I got in such a rage. Um, <laughs> Number three. Number three. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, oh, IT. So when when my computer does things wrong, I literally, I'm screaming invective um, at, so like, you ignorant bastard, um, at my computer. And it's something... That's it's meant to be logical, but it's not. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Number four. Um, number four. Um, being being forced to play team sport. <laughs> yeah. Just does, does does not sit with my skill set, and, and I get very rap- very angry very rapidly. Uh, number um, five. Number five. Large groups of football fans on public transport. Oh yeah. It's completely involuntary action, but it's if it's it's fight or flight, and it's definitely the former. And it's just even if they're relatively benign, it instantly puts my back up. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Number six. Uh, number number six. Number six. Number six. Uh, oh oh, how to phrase this? Um, it's not. People asking me the question, oh, how long have you been a vegetarian? It's more when it comes with that slight kind of, it's 2020 for God's sake. Get over it. Yeah. Uh, Number seven. Number seven. Uh, Come on, brain. I get angry at many things. I get angry very quickly. And then it goes. So, um... Is that, is that your number seven? Uh, yeah, yeah. Losing, 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 losing the thread. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the losing thread. it. <laughs> losing uh, the thread. Yeah. Finally, last one, number eight. Number eight, um, even numbers. 
<laughs> I can't think of anything else. Yeah, even numbers. Balance is the enemy of art. There we go. Yeah, your rigidity. <laughs> Fuck off. Yes. Okay, well, so, someone that. said that to me once, but I think it's I think it's it's good. I think it's it's like it's like it's like a, you know perfectionism. It's got it's not necessarily yeah, symmetry. helpful. Yeah, symmetry. Keeping things yes. symmetrical. Keeping and I, things. I, I, and I do have that slightly sort of that slight instinct to make everything nice and symmetrical and a thing. But actually, yeah. you get more if you. Just push it in some direction and just you know see what happens when you've got to, things go out of shape. Yeah, that's why I guess things like the rule of three in comedy, because it's uneven for a reason. It's the payoff. It's the shortest distance in which you can escalate something, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. It's that kind of yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Number eight. Arrogance. Ooh. That's one thing which I yeah, which actually was going around my head. Perceived arrogance or whatever. I'm not free of it myself, but well, I have it as an extra bonus. You can have a boat. Oh yeah, because it makes it not balanced. Yeah. Yes, okay, nine. you can have that. You're allowed nine because you gave such a great description of why eight is shit. Yeah. But it's a very lucky number in China, isn't it? Or something. It's, it's in the Far East. It's known as it's known as a very lucky eight. number. Eight. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was seven. Seven is maybe UK. It's yes. like a favourite number. Yeah. Why though? Seven deadly sins. I think seven's quite magical number. Yeah. Ah. Numerology and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So it's eleven. Hence the seven eleven. The seven eleven shop. The most mystical of all the shops. Run by angels. <laughs> <laughs> See, gold their hand, broad their wings. Give us a. <laughs> Yes. Go, go get some milk from 7-Eleven. I must put on my robe. <laughs> oh, long life. Long life to you. <laughs> we do not take money in here. We take only prayer and dedication. <laughs> Um, Dan, tap dancing. Take me, take us through where, why, when. I went to drama school when I was a bit older. So I was closer to 30 than I was 20. And I'd done lots of academic stuff. I was very good at passing exams when I was a kid. But then at drama school, there was a large constituent of it, which was really good for me, actually, where suddenly all of that sort of stuff didn't have any currency. Especially, you know, having a dance lesson virtually every single day where it was like really high impact stuff that made me physically fit for the first time in my life. So that was an eye opener. And it was good. It puts you in touch with your body, makes you a much more fluent performer, all that sort of thing. But then every Friday morning, we would have tap for an hour. And I think our teacher didn't like teaching it either. And the thing is, Unlike other forms of dance where you can be rubbish, you can be rubbish and quiet with tap. If you're not, it's, if in, it's in synchronicity, it's great. In not, it's the hell of typewriters. <laughs> so it's kind of like walking toe, heel, heel, toe, toe, heel, heel, toe to a rhythm. And then just not being able to do that in any way. Also, like feeling like Mr. Ed, the talking horse, you know, clunk, clunk, clunk. I just got so, so angry. I got angry at all of dance, all of dance and movement stuff, just because it's it's not, it's a different way of learning something. When suddenly you've got to, not even actually, because I can improvise movement perfectly well. I, I don't necessarily move badly, but actually things like learning choreography, the first time. It's completely different as a system of actually how you get your body to do something. And the most acute version of that was bloody tap. You know, that kind of that real sort of physical rage sort of thing happening. I really get that frustration too of like when you just can't get something and then you have people who are essentially looking at you like you're shit. I totally get it and you you try so hard and I feel like the effort of the energy of how hard you're trying is partly what creates the explosion when you keep getting it wrong because it's like I can't put any more effort in than I'm putting yeah. in right now and, and feeling stupid and clumsy and useless yeah, yeah. and that awful thing just feeling leaden and sort of going I'm just crap that kind of like really drags you down as a kind of thing but also if you're using depending on which side of the brain is stronger for you so if you're incredibly academic 
and you've learned in a way that your your learning is a certain side of the brain. Although I say this, like I'm musical and artistic and dancing is not my strong point. I've taken dance lessons since I was like, I think it was two and a half, three. And I am Whoa. not, a, yeah, exactly. You're surprised because you've seen me move. <laughs> <laughs> literally, wow. Are you for real? The girl who just fell over her laptop? <laughs> exactly. I find picking up, da- I've been to dance lessons for, my whole life and it feels like I got to a place where you know in the dance classes where they get you to just go do the corner work where you just all you have to do is go from one corner to the other (laughs) and skip I could do that and that was where the levels of my movement ended and this came to bite me in the bum which is one of those moments I think that any actor or any creative has ever had where you say you can do something (laughs) and you cannot do it I was put forward to do Mac and Mabel at Chichester and they didn't know whether they wanted a group of physical performers or a group of dancers or a mix of both to do the chorus bit because there's this whole physical comedy routine in the middle and they got Spy Monkey to come and do the comedy bit. So Toby from Spy Monkey had recommended me because he knew that I could sing and I could do a bit of moving, (laughs) moving. They said there'll be a bit of tap. But this audition won't be for about six weeks. So I had a big long chat with my agent and we decided that I'll go and do some basic tap lessons for six weeks just so I can do the basics. I do six weeks of one, two lessons a week to get to a basic level. And I turn up. Everybody in that changing room is a dancer. Everybody has got their legs over their head. This is not going to be a basic tap lesson. The choreographer steps forward and says, "Okay, everybody, this is the routine. And it was a five, six, seven, eight. And it was the most complicated routine. I was like, I can step ball change. And my friend had said to me, just move your arms around the same way as everybody else. But they won't look at your feet. So that's all I tried to focus on. I looked like I was putting out small fires in the tiny place where I was stood. Um, and then I ended up just walking over to the casting director and saying, this is a, an embarrassment and a waste of time for both of like, everybody involved. And I'm so sorry. And I had to... Leave. Once or twice I've had those big group dance recalls for musical theatre things. And it's a whole thing of, it is, you know, usually there'll be five short blokes. Hello, I'm with the short guys gang with the five, seven, five dwarves. Um, and then there'll be five tall blokes, five large blokes, five skinny blokes, and then, and then lots of dancers. Clearly, they had a very different skill set. And then the awful thing of having to go up in a sort of like a, in a little triangle and then so I learn the choreography and then you do it in front of the person and then they sort of take the person away and you have to start do it in front of a whole room people are watching where you're like in a little group and it's going, no, I, I, can't, I can't learn this. One of the first big jobs that I did out of drama school was actually was a musical at Christmas called Santa Claus the Musical, where I was playing an evil elf, of course, not the last time. Um, <laughs> and they had so like the, the local dance school coming on, all these girls between about four and nine years old coming along being elves, doing this entire tap routine and going, that's why I couldn't learn it when I was 27, <laughs> because they've absorbed it at a time when your, your brain is porous. And it was that thing which sort of put it to rest for me slightly. And one thing, one thing which, I, which, which I've learned about, because you know, I was never particularly sporty at school, things which I like now are things like yoga or Pilates or stuff like, you know, more sort of things which are specific, where you learn how to, how to do things and it's about sort of actually small incremental getting better at stuff. And that, yeah. that, that kind of thing is much more satisfying to me than sort of like... You team know, sports. Team sports. Team sports. Yeah. What is it? Why, why team sports for you that... <sighs> I was never particularly into them. I never used to sort of watch football um, mm. when I was a kid anyway. But it's also the fact that it transformed people that I always like into arseholes. So all of a sudden, 
my mates suddenly have to start taking this really seriously. And this whole kind of like body language comes out. Yeah, mark your man, mark. They start, start parroting out these inane phrases. <laughs> I did play a game of football at a friend's stag do, but everyone had a drink in their hand. So there was a great leveller yeah. in terms of ability and actually taking it seriously. Yeah. And that, that was a good fun. That was just to like kick around. It was, yeah, it was silly. Whereas I remember when I first moved to London, my dear friend who I was living with at the time tried to, <laughs> tried to encourage me. He got me as far as getting some trainers. And it's like, we're going to go down to somewhere like Regent's Park and so like play a game of football. And I thought, oh, that'll be a fun thing to do, I suppose. Yeah, bonding. Uh, and then the more, the closer it came to, like, you know, two o'clock when I got, the, the sadder I got. So, oh, no, this is, this is, I know myself. This is not going to be good. Uh, this is, um, this is going to end friendships and stuff if I go down there. I won't be able to communicate with people, and my friends will suddenly turn into twats. And also, the thing is about, I think it's about football, is that blokes think they're good at it, which, even if they're not, you know, it's, it's the beautiful game. Everyone knows how to play. It's like, no, I, I, I don't. Because I suppose you, you're, like, supposed to be good at it as a bloke, probably. Like, I don't think I had that necessarily, that particular football pressure on me, obviously. It's also disappointment as well, I think, because when I was a kid, again, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not by nature cynical. I do join mm. in with things. But I remember when we started playing it at primary school when I was about sort of eight years old, it was like, this is going to be the most amazing thing, the most fun thing ever. Actually going to be playing, yeah, like the big boys. You're going to be playing on a pitch, going to play four. Like, oh, great. And I tried to play. And I was running around and what, what the hell's going on? I, I really don't understand what the hell is going on. And... <laughs> And people are shouting at me. And I don't... Why? Why is this happening? The things that you're saying that you enjoy are the more solo-led, like yoga, Pilates. You're responsible for you to get better, for your own improvement. Nobody's relying on you. Because when you first put team sports, I was like, but you are such a team player. I've seen you improvise. I've improvised with yeah, you. Like, you're a beautiful you can't team not... player. Within pro, though, especially <laughs> if, if you're properly taught, it's not about winning. No. It's, yeah. it's got, you know, something like this, it's got the illusion It's got the illusion of competition. You know, it's like Keith Johnson thing. It's as competitive as all-in wrestling. You know, it, it, it's about the show as opposed to the actually sort of like, you know, one person beating another or a team beating another it's about that and I think it's just the whole sort of thing it's all the bravado and it's all the kind of you know even even when it's sort of like you know sort of matey sort of trash talking I mean someone like Muhammad Ali could be sort of like you know arrogant and funny and witty but most people aren't like that <laughs> they're just dicks so it's kind of it's yeah or perhaps it's just how I how it lands to me but it just it gets on my wick well especially if people like if you're talking about like friends who aren't normally like that so you haven't developed a group of friends who love to trash talk each other and who are always like digging at you and like that's what you find funny and you're all getting along on a certain level and then suddenly everybody changes into this like cookie cutter version of what this macho sports winner is and supposed- yet some people try hard to do that and don't do it very well and it's just kind of it's like, or something like bloody rounders years ago when I had an office job they used to have this thing about sort of like the, the softball team and then one of the girls went oh yeah I used to love rounders at school and it was just this this thing this echoed rounders <laughs> this kind of like this dark sort of tolling bell from the past of suddenly going oh god and it's something like you know 1986 and I'm nine years old and it's a summer afternoon and I'm standing in a field where something happens in the distance and feeling this existential angst so going it's so dull and when you're always put as a fielder I was always put as a fielder I can't remember if this is on rounders as well but definitely on cricket if we like we had a little cricket club in the playground after school I was always a fielder and I was always probably because I was shit you know what I mean but then I would like then I'd stand I'd just basically be standing on my own far away from anyone then I'd get bored and then 
a ball would fly at me and scare the shit out of me and I'd cover my eyes and then everyone would yell at me because I... <laughs> so this is like none no part of that experience is fun for me <laughs> like and, 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 I, and I think it's also it's well-meaning adults are going oh let's get all the kids involved in a team game and it's like some of them yeah it's a whole bit there was a there's a really good um, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon about you know how Calvin just likes playing by himself and then he has to sort of like you know plays on the baseball team for a bit so like okay quitter and he, he, he doesn't want to anymore and he's judged for it so I'm going but I, I was having quite a nice time just playing tag or so like just you know, playing pretend games which is why I'm an actor with my, with my mates that's that's much more you know sort of entertaining it's no less physical in lots of ways so at school would you always when you would get frustrated would it make you want to try and be better when you were younger or would it make you retreat like what I, would no, it? I, I think I just I just sort of like you know so like I remember so like school football matches I just so I stood in the touchline in my duffel coat so conspicuously reading a, a paperback with my back to the pitch because I wasn't going to get picked or so I was or whatever so it's like kind of you know salle de refusé you know so kind of thing yeah and, it, it, and it's just, it's, just, it's just a difference of it's a difference of temperament temperament you know and I don't want to decry any of my friends who do get a lot out of it but it's, that this is just how I react to it totally I was wondering what, how this kind of links in with what you said about a football fans on public transport which I I feel like I 100% I'm gonna know what you're referring to there (laughs) but I want to check in with you about it and like also because you just mentioned it about arrogance as well was on your list are those things that you know things that seem to all touch on one another about places that get to you and that make you mad and you were talking earlier as well obviously about fight and flight and and kind of rage reactions or responses to potentially to arrogance or rage or aggression around you how does that kind of come out in you yeah I, I I think I think it is and just just with the football you know, you know and again loads of my friends sort of like you know sort of like football and it's just you know it's perfectly healthy and harmless but there's something about and so like it's the whole thing of a large group of sort of like you know mainly male football fans or whatever and it's you know just a particularly bad thing. It was a three-hour train journey from Preston back down to London after Millwall had just been playing until, oh God, I just had to, I was in the quiet carriage specifically, just having to pretend to be asleep because, you know, obviously Millwall's sort of like um, slogan is no one likes us and we don't care and so like, they were really, you know, really, really living the dream in that respect. <laughs> but, it's, 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 but it's that whole sort of thing of just groups of, sort of lads sort of like, as soon as there's a shout on the tube in the background and a large herd, it's that group group mentality sort of thing and it's, it's, it's not a rational thing. I just have that certain, I can feel the fists clenching yeah. And it is absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, and it's more the previous, it's more the fight than the flight. Yeah. And not, not that I would ever act on that, but it is, it's just, you know, you can feel the heartbeat, heartbeat racing. And it's also about the appropriation of a public space that you share with other people into going, we're amazing. And you don't get a lot of, after a Comic Con, you don't get a lot of science fiction fans, you don't get a lot of LARPers fucking. <laughs> Taking over a tube carriage on the way, actually, because I've been in them on the way to the on the way to the O2 when they've got a big comic con. It's quite benign. They just like keep themselves themselves. That's fine. They share the space. They think it's about testosterone as well. It's about it's a, a male reaction to things and marking territory and all those sort of very you know atavistic things. But sort of yeah, Jesus, it's just it's it's it, and also it, it it's not as you can hear. I'm starting to I'm it, you know, my ability to describe it is breaking down because I can feel that gorge rising with the fight or flight thing. Helen had just said you mentioned earlier about being in that suit and almost doing the fight or flight thing of panic and is there something like you say about massive crowds like that being vulnerable being solo being on your own so then I wonder being in that suit and that state of panic where did it sit for you? Well I I think as performers I'm I'm sure you understand that sort of like before you go on stage you always have that sort of like involuntary reaction that kind of that, that physiological reaction as well and you learn to control it in a way that's useful to you 
And certainly before I do impro, there's no other adrenaline thing like it, especially something like an improvathon when you're doing it for 50 hours, 25 hours. That's fine because the stakes, you know, there's always going to be a next scene. If it's something short form or if it's a half an hour show or something, then it's like, that's a shot in the arm like no other in terms of like, oh God, and sort of like, uh, what, what's about to happen? I don't know. I can't control it. Before I'm going on stage, everyone used to laugh at me when I was like, you on tour because I warm up for a very long time. And that's double edged because if I have the nerves, as I usually do, I need to be able to control them. But if I don't and I'm knackered, then actually the process of doing breathing and certain types of stretches that my body's got used to over the years actually summons those, summons up the adrenaline when there isn't that much of a, a reservoir for it. With something like being in the, in the, in the rubber suit, being so like doing prosthetics and stuff like that, it's about being in a constrained and uncomfortable environment and just being able to control what your body's normal reaction is. Get this off me. You, you can just leaven that and actually just, just breathe and talk to yourself. And, you know, I've been lucky. The thing is, you've got, you've got you know, serious professionals around you to make sure that if you are seriously uncomfortable, they can do things about that. You know, you've got a whole lot of prosthetics technicians. So again, that, that's made, that made my first couple of days on, on so like doing Doctor Who and other programmes much easier as opposed to sort of being in your trailer being your own go on set do a scene with x big actor then go off again which is lots of people's experience of a, of a guest role on television you know it, it, it's almost like i had four pas going around making sure you're okay would you like some more water you're right you've got comfortable you know and it's it, it, it's, it's nice like that because there are and, 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 and also part of the prosthetic technicians training is they have the makeup put on themselves so they know what it's like for the performer inside so that, that that's a huge thing you know which so that they can get what's what's wrong okay yeah but the, yeah. But the, the, the only time when I did wear on a program called the Sarah Jane Adventures. I wore a the most un, you know the most difficult prosthetic that I've worn was one where I had a sort of like a a fiberglass chassis on top of my head with a motor inside because I was like a cyclops. So I had a kind of a, a, a rolling eye with a remote control unit on top of my head. So instead of actually having a mask glued onto my face, I was kind of inside the mask and looking through the nostrils oh of the actual face. And that's the only time when I had any kind of claustrophobic reaction. And with that, that was, and it, it took much less time to put on because effectively they're only gluing the lower part of your face on. But I had to get out of the chair, have a walk around, have a breathe, talk to myself, talk myself down and going, it's fine. You're used to this. It's okay. It's okay. And, you know, and, and, you know that's why you do makeup checks as well. I had, I had a whole sort of like couple of hours of an afternoon to get used to that. But yeah. it's very necessary as a kind of thing. But then it is, and it is that whole thing of managing reaction. And, and it's, it's, it's all about how something like an acting training and, yeah, you know, performance. It's why it's why it's good for kids to do school plays because if you do have that kind of reaction, how you deal with stress, you learn strategies for managing it. And lots of those mm. are very personal. Other ones are much more sort of like specifically adapted to what you're, you know, what you're doing, your know, performance or whatever. But, you know, going on an aeroplane or whatever, you know, so like I used to have quite a lot of anxiety, especially going through turbulence, that sort of thing. But then it's, yeah. it's, it's a similar mental trigger that you learn how to access that when you can sort of breathe. And, 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 and I don't know, for me, it is all physiological. You know, it's yeah. kind of like it's, as long as I can breathe in a certain way and I can actually sort of calm myself down, it's that kind of... Um, yeah. And I suppose there is like, there's quite a big difference between nerves or a sense of claustrophobia that's to do with a professional environment where you know what you're being asked to do you're surrounded by support and professionals who are there to make sure that you're okay and it's a kind of it's a controlled space as opposed to when you find yourself in positions in life where you're just taken over by an energy or an intimidation you're not there to do that you haven't agreed to do that job yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And also, I think that, like you said, with the woman who said, oh, I love rounders. It's almost like you hear a football team coming up behind you and it just transports you back to school, whereas, where suddenly it's that loud group dynamic that just makes you want to retreat. So when you've started to talk about the things that have enraged you, so you're physically, your body is almost like it's winding, charging itself up. It looks like you're sort of powered. Your fists were going and also, it starts to render you a bit inarticulate and as an incredibly articulate person that you are has that always been the way for you somebody's walking over to you Dan and they're going why the hell are you a vegetarian <laughs> what does that do to you well What's that's that, that, that thing, that, that's a very long-term thing because I'm not a vegetarian by choice it's because I've got a medical condition it, it was very very acute when I was a kid so I had a very very restricted diet it's uh, it's, it's about, it's about being, a, being able to metabolize protein so it was like nearly, nearly sort of vegan when I was a kid. And so, you know, I still cook most things from scratch just, just through habit. And my mum basically had to make everything for me. And, you know, when you're a kid, after a while, it gets boring explaining things. But, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, most of the time now, it's 2020 and most people take it in good faith. But now you get things, why aren't you a vegan then? It's like, because it's not a something I've suddenly discovered through watching something on Netflix. And even if it's just joshingly meant, it's just something where I just have to take a little deep breath and sort of go... <laughs> okay and it's just that you know and the thing is most of the time most of the time you know i'm, I'm not sort of I, I, I laugh things off but there's that little trigger and it, and it is that kind of i don't know whether we all do you have mental arguments or you have a straw man in your head that you sort of like rehearse all these things with that is like you sort of go around yeah and and, and it is just 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 come from yeah it comes with a lot of assumptions. It, yeah, and I, I think that it, it is about assumptions and baggage and that sort of thing. The way in which anger sits for you, you you've obviously developed really specific strategies that help you in moments yeah. like you're yeah. sat on a train mm. and this group comes on. <laughs> like you said, you pretend to be asleep, but is that like where does that fire for you? Where does that rage sit? Is it is this something that you've had to teach yourself how to combat? Or I suppose this... I suppose it is. I always yeah, I've not been demonstrative with it, but so when, when I was, no, well, actually, no, I have. But you know, thing is, when I when I was about thirteen, fourteen, I was I was still quite big. Then everybody else grew, which is very, very, uh, very, very annoying of them. But so like, I was I was I was, I was pretty you know because I had my growth spurt quite early, so I was, I was relatively large. Um, I remember there was one there was one sort of like little sort of spate when I was about thirteen or so where because of my diet actually we had this kind of like a, a way thing at school and I'd had to take you know my sort of freezer box full of my food for the week and sort of like also the food supplement stuff, all the amino acids that I used to drink, which is you know, not very nice. And so that became the point of some sort of like a point of attention through some of my classmates. And it's funny, actually it was months afterwards, just this one lad decided that he would that he would, you know, revisit his greatest hits and then so like through an entire double C D T period. He just kept on annoying me. And I laughed it off for about an hour and a half until I snapped and, yes, uncharacteristically, did that in quite a physical way. But the, the, And then the teacher completely punished him and exonerated me because he knew, you know, it was, it was out of character for me to do that as a kind of thing. Um, so I have had that sort of thing of actually sort of physicalising rage in that kind of way. And that gets to something which is quite empowering and sort of felt quite wired at the time. But it's not something... Yeah, it's, da- it's a dangerously... It's a dangerous thing to get used to, I think. It's that kind of um, 
Yeah. So so there, there has been that moment where it has exploded, but not 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 for a very, very long time. But it's also, it sounds like it took you a lot to get there. You know what I mean? It's like a constant, you know, an hour, an hour and a half of somebody constantly trying to get under your skin and you laugh it off and then they try again and then you, you know, like it's like when you've exhausted all other reactions. And I definitely relate to that, that kind of, and I suppose it's also a similar way to what you were saying about why the constant vegetarian comments wind you up it's anything actually in a broader sense to do with microaggressions in the in the sense that when you have something repeated day in day out hour in hour out and every person that says it thinks either thinks i'm so funny blah, blah, blah or i'm so clever or say things completely unknowingly and unaware of how it's impacting yeah, you. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, it's, it, again, it's, it's just a little tone or something because I grew up in the countryside and that sort of thing. So, you know, sort of like a, a farm's because like, oh, right, why are you vegetarian? Does the farming cake you know, actually? It's like, because I can't because I've got a medical condition. Well, I'll let you off this time, I suppose. <sighs> Fuck oh. you! <laughs> actually. Yeah. I know you think you're being cute, but you're just being a dick. Yeah. It's yeah. that kind of... Um... Because you're dealing with those restrictions yourself. You're dealing with it, especially because, like you say, it wasn't a choice. God, yeah. But, no, yeah. but, but your, your wider question about, so like, yeah, dealing with dealing with the rage, I suppose it is sublimated. I think also, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's the walking quickly thing as well. I think I was, talk- I was talking to our mutual friend, Sue Harrison, uh, the actor and improviser, about sort of character stuff and about how uh, you've got a metronome. About different different people, different characters have got a metronome and you've got that inside. I know that mine is quite fast. I've got that tick, 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 tick thing going along there. So like, if I'm going through a crowd, I want to get through it as quickly as I possibly can. I think that's why I don't like being in a large crowd because it's... First of all, I don't like the control of... So like, yeah, I, I find it very difficult to like just marching behind any kind of general banner, even if it's something I broadly agree with. There's something which doesn't sit with me in that kind of way. But um, I, I found a way through performing and stuff that I can actually use that to my advantage and actually I can transform it into something performative. And it's, it's just funny how it sort of chimes in as well. You know, even though it's like a, I never sort of courted it, I often get sort of cast as a short, angry man. I think that that's, that's a picture that sort of like people quite like to see on stage. It's a bit like, you know, sort of one of my favourite Time Bandits, um, where Ian Holm plays Napoleon in that. And all he wants to do when he's raised Italy, he just wants to see a Punch and Judy show. That's what I like. Small things hitting each other. <laughs> and it's the, it's, it's, the, you know, it's, it's the anger of the small man sort of transferred. And that's so not who you are at all. As a, well, we've never seen, you know, we've known you for, for a while. But no, he... there's, there's, there's an energy, there's an energy that goes into it that comes out of that possibly, but it's not something which I would externalise in that way, at least most of the time, I don't think. What's interesting, I think, is what you said about being a creative and adapting yourself into different spaces depending on, you know, if you're an actor, like this is the person you're going to be today. Obviously for people, they're just going to pigeonhole you into, ah, there's an energy there that Dan brings and he does anger really well. Great. He satisfies that character that we need because he can he can fill that gap and we need like an angry small man. So great. I know, He's done that. And the it's... guy. Hey! <laughs> I've seen him do it before and he was great. We just put him in a series of really uncomfortable suits <laughs> and see yes. what that does yes you will it's, it's that Stockholm syndrome going I'm wearing tights every day and it's like actually do you know what they're quite comfortable and practical hang on yeah. hold on a second I think I'm on yes, board like okay, now yes. see the reason for tights tap dancing into every room underneath my rubber suit um, uh, when I was wearing Doctor Who I had sort of like nice um, nice shiny girls sort of like high denier dance tights because they make the rubber slide with talcum powder because they make them slide on more easily. And then a couple of times, then once or twice, when it was really, really hot, I thought, I'm just not going to wear those because it's just too hot. And that meant then that the actual sort of like the rubber suit sort of like 
clams to your leg. So it was oh, basically God. impossible to you get off. Stuck. So it was that whole thing of, yeah, 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 yeah. So the Royal Albert Hall, I was doing a live thing on the proms. So, you know, in July. So it's like 6,000 people, hottest day of the year. And then it's like trying to get these rubber trousers off. And it took about three or four of the costume department just <gasps> trying to get these, you know, basically with me, so like this. Uh, just get them off me. That's claustrophobic. That's seriously claustrophobic. I got I got trapped in a pair of leather trousers in a in an H and M changing room, and I swear <laughs> to fucking god, it was it was one of the scariest <laughs> moments of my life. And I've had I've had a few scary moments, but this just just because in the moment you tell yourself this is it. I am never going to get these off. I'm either going to have to walk out of here with leather trousers, round, yeah, with just my knickers on, and then what? And then what? Because I can't walk out the store, and am I going to have to get a store assistant to fucking pull them off for me? Like, even the end of this scenario comes with a whole other load of terrible endings. This is what happened. I cried, I hyperventilated, and I eventually got them off and like walked out of there. And I was like, "I'm never going back in H&M. I'm never, I'm never trying on another pair of leather trousers, even though I thought it was going to be cool and I thought I could pull oh it off. I definitely, God. literally can't pull them off." I got stuck in a dress once, but you know when you get stuck where it's above your head, so you've got both <laughs> arms around yes. your head, oh. so you can't pull it down and you can't pull oh. it up. And because it was a dress, I was only wearing my knickers. <laughs> so obviously, then I just have my arms above my head stuck in a piece of like really cheap whatever it was because it was too small and it was the wrong size and everything was wrong can you imagine the two of us have gone shopping on the same day we just be like can you help me i can't i'm also stuck i ended up ripping it and giving it back i had to i couldn't get out it was life and death it was like a vice that's fight and flight so tights and talcum powder for anybody who's into leather that's the tip or rubber well absolutely (laughs) to finish on that moment well i hope it's been elucidating it's like yeah so yes in short so try just just squeeze the anger down guys it'll do so much good for (laughs) you and the else push it down push it down push it try and laugh it off oh god i tell you what another bizarre thing with lockdown you targeted adverts on social media for some reason a couple of years ago i thought i had the weirdest one where for some reason i was getting high net worth divorce i think where the hell has that come from that's bizarre I, yeah, I, I, I really don't know where that come from. But now, I think because I've looked on YouTube, a couple of things like how to do a handstand and how to do cartwheels and that sort of thing, because I've just been, you know, doing exercise at home. Now it's decided that I, I'm some sort of wannabe martial artist. And then it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a doll that you can sort of like, it's like, it's a, it's like a, sort of a grappling dummy <laughs> that you can buy and do judo on in your living room. <laughs> And it's hilarious. It's just like it's like it's like a sort of like a, it's like a weighted kind of big beanbag man. Oh my god, <laughs> Dan! It's heard your rage. It's heard the rage. It. I'm gonna let's find it. We'll try and find it. If we can find it, we'll link it. Yeah, I, I always like to hear what other people get sold to because you only see your own algorithms, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> We've heard you're very angry today, yes. Dan. Yes. <laughs> We've been watching you through your phone. <laughs> we felt you squeeze it a little harder earlier on, and now we're sending you Xanax. <laughs> What a great wow. time we've had with Dan Starkey. Wow, what a wonder. Let's, let's do some Dan plugs. I don't know if Dan actually sent us any plug. He's got nothing to plug. He's constantly available. <laughs> if you would like to employ Dan Starkey, 
You can call his agent. Dan is on Twitter, Stan Darkly. Stan Darkly. Darkly. I'm not going to spell it because we're not here to hear me spell out words anymore. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter if you want to keep up with what he's going to be doing. I'm sure he's going to be doing some brilliant stuff mm. in the near future. Why don't you follow him on Twitter? Follow him on... Is he on Instagram? I'm going to say yes. And then if it's not, then it's definitely a fan account and you should follow it anyway. He might be on LinkedIn. I don't know. If you would like to organise a really boring business meeting with him, you can use LinkedIn. You can't fucking talk to anyone on LinkedIn (laughs) if you're not already their friend. Hate it. It's supposed to be a networking thing, but you can only talk to people you're already friends with. So what the fuck is the point? Have I just missed the point? No, you've not missed it. Oh, sorry, Dan. He might have a very nice LinkedIn profile. He might. He was on EastEnders recently. Um, Oh, yeah, if you're an EastEnders fan, you can EastEnders. Yeah, you have seen him. <laughs> <laughs> if you like EastEnders, right. you would like what you saw. <laughs> Helen and I are available for voice work. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. My dinner's ready. Time to go. (laughs) You know what? Find Dan. We're going to put all of his links to all of his socials in the episode description. Definitely follow him. Yeah. You heard him. He's popping up all over the place doing brilliant things. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for raging. Oh. Oh, that was good. Is that something? (laughs) I don't know. I was supposed to do one last week. Yeah, you were. (laughs) We'll take it. Bye. Bye. You can tweet the show using hashtag LividPodcast or follow us on Instagram at LividPodcast and share what makes you furious. Livid is brought to you by Playwell with music by Ashani Parapanayagam. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. <laughs>